What is the cost, I wonder, of contentment in each country on the planet? Well, Harvard University, they went out to find out. In Iran, it is the highest, if you can believe it, over a quarter, nearly a quarter of a million quid, €232,000, the lowest in Sierra Leone, just over eight grand. What about Ireland? Ireland was left off the list. 173 countries included, but not Ireland. So we sent Sarah Madden to do the research for us. Sarah, how much will contentment cost you in our four green fields? Well, the cost of happiness in Ireland, it's um, not far off our neighbours in the UK. So Irish experts estimate that you'd need about 70 grand, from 70 grand to 90 grand euro annually um, to be cheerful here. And um, I suppose after that, your happiness is going to have diminishing returns. But as we all know, Kieran, as my good friend in Italy would say, money is not tootie. So I asked Irish people to rate their happiness out of 10 and to tell me what makes them happy and what sparks joy in their lives. Probably like an eight, I would say. I'd like, I'm, I'd say consistently a nine, I would say. Ten. Ten out of ten I'm happiness. Happy. Yeah. I'm happy with all the choices I've made, where I am. What's something that makes you happy? Our sea swims. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key. So worth it. So good for the soul. Relationships with others. I think having people in your life is everything. I'll be a sun holiday for me, honestly. All all the time. All the these people that go on ski holidays, I don't understand them. <laughs> uh pint of Guinness, packet of peanuts. Can't get better than that. Work life balance. It's six o'clock and I'm not in the office. Given, 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 given. So charity. Uh well well I have to keep a bit of myself, like, you know, but I'm only happy when I'm giving, like, you know, I'm only happy when I'm sort of giving me friends simple presents or a bunch of flowers to me ma. I've been tasting wine all day, so hello, Sean Moncrief. And afterwards, I'm catching up with an old friend and we're knocking back a couple of beers to wipe away all the wine. Cheers. If I was to ask you what the happiest day of your life was, would you have one in mind? Oh, baby being born. Absolutely. Hands down. Son being born. No other day. And does he still make you happy every day? Yes, he does. He's a grumpy toddler, but he's still very nice. <laughs> when I was in Bali with two friends of mine, two girls, and we were sitting on a beach and I was like watching the sunset. And I was like, there's nowhere I'd rather be than right here, right now in that moment. Stand out. What about yourself? Can no. you top that? I work nine to five. Yeah. <laughs> no happiness. <laughs> Would you like a little song about happiness? Please. Hopefully who will rock my gold spend all day in the wood. Chopping up logs for his cold winter hut. His singing was heard all over lockdown. I in the world, I'm the happiest man. All right. <laughs> chopping woods, uh, chopping woods, chopping wood, uh, making that man happy in the song. A pint and a packet of peanuts as well. Simple yeah. pleasures, it seems to be mm-hmm. uh, for some people. So, I mean, it depends on the definition of happiness, though, I guess, does it? What is happiness? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's kind of a little bit intangible. But I spoke with the leading pioneer in the study of happiness, um, a real sort of academic Uh, area has grown up around this actually. His name is Ruth van Hoven and he's incredibly cheerful and he says that the definition for happiness in his view is life satisfaction. And that's something that Ireland really consistently ranks high in actually. I mean, now we're the 14th happiest country in the world. I believe that's dropped a little bit, but people are becoming greedy for happiness. You know, there's countless happiness coaches around the country. How to be happy seminars and likewise podcasts are becoming ever more popular and even earlier this year, the tourist board in Finland, the world's happiest country, offered a masterclass in happiness to joy-seeking outsiders who wanted to fly in. But Professor Brendan Kelly, he's author of The Science of Happiness. He's a bit suspicious of this modern fixation with achieving optimal happiness. Book a thing on happiness is a relatively new phenomenon. And look, it's not even clear that it's a good phenomenon. 
sometimes seeking out happiness isn't the way to get there. Happiness is being commodified. In a sense, people are taking our happiness and trying to sell it back to us. As most people know instinctually, it can be a very simple thing. When something nice happens, when someone smiles across a crowd, pursuing that systematically can help a bit, but we do need to be wary of um, the commodification of happiness or turning well-being into a product and people asking us to pay for it. We have an awful lot of resource within ourselves, within our friends, within our families. We don't always need the latest happiness seminar, um, although there is a very good book called The Science of Happiness, which I wrote. <laughs> Being in a relationship, a long-term relationship, is, is conducive to happiness. Age has a lot to do with happiness. We tend to be happier when we're younger. People who are religious tend to be happier than people who are not. We initially thought this is because religious people had a sense of community, but it seems that it is belief that really brings the happiness. The happiest people politically seem to be right-wing people who are you know, certain about things to do with the world and are firm in their beliefs. I think the ultimate ideal would be to be a very right-wing person, but surrounded by left-wing people so that you could have your firm beliefs and your happiness, but everyone else works to make the world a better place. Oh, wow. Okay, so be a real right-winger and join like People Before Profit or the Socialist Party for a, li- <laughs> for a lifetime of happiness uh, is, is a Brendan's suggestion. I like that. Um, that's the recipe, is it? Well, yeah, there's there's some interesting um, other sort of stats with it. So men in Ireland are happier than women. Um, and in fact, uh, female emancipation <laughs> supposedly made people a lot happier, but only the men. Women are still less happy than oh, they were wow. before. I know, I know. Well, anyway, look, let's not get into that juggernaut. But child-free people are actually happier oh, than anybody. That. Yeah, yeah. So apparently having children makes people less happy yep. until the point when those kids move out. Oh, counting down the days. <laughs> yeah, but obviously with the cost of living crisis and, and you know, housing through the roof for many parents, that day may not even come. So you, you described it kind of as intangible or abstract a few minutes ago, happiness. I mean, and some might describe this whole conversation as intangible, but it actually matters in terms of policy these days. Yes, it does. Increasingly, happiness and well-being are being centred in policy. So, for example, in the UK, they have a happiness czar and New Zealand, they've also trialled a well-being budget. Um, And obviously, that's not coming from a place of benevolence. You know, it's because politically, economically and socially, it matters whether people are happy or not. So I was chatting to Rory Hearn, who's a professor of social policy at Maynooth University. He's also author of GAFs, and he broke it down a little bit further for me. People being happy and citizens being happy is really important because for democracies to function, people have to want to take part in it. People have to want to go out and vote, for example. You know, we need people to want to be part of their community, you know, to volunteer in, you know, the huge amount of, you know, voluntary work that's done in Ireland, for example, from sports to community supports. To want to contribute, to be part of society, people have to feel that there is that social contract there that they are benefiting from, that they actually feel happy, they feel they have a purpose, they feel that they have a meaning and that they have a role in society. And so if you don't have that, if people are deeply unhappy and discontented with society and how it is, then they're going to express that in ways that can be deeply destructive. Not voting can be a big issue. For example, supporting, you know, conspiracy theories, you know, supporting the groups which are interested in in fueling hate, for example. And if people feel excluded, you know, themselves, it impacts their own self-esteem, their own sense of self-worth. It leads to things like depression, anxiety, 
And that, of course, then impacts on their own personal capacity to live the lives they want to live. But also then they're not in the position to contribute to society. So there is a real financial and economic cost to people being unhappy and their needs not being met. So on the other side, if we if we ensured people were happy and content and we included that as an indicator, we could actually save money and it, it would show us, you know, is our investment working right? Because, you know, ultimately, again, the question is, you know, for what purpose is growth in our societies, is economic development, is all of what we do except to make people happy. All right, that's Rory Hearn uh, from Maynooth. So we'll finish with a bit of advice then. What mm-hmm. are the go-tos for joy and happiness? Well, yes, um, I think the main thing that a lot of the um, experts now believe is that looking for personal happiness isn't the way to go. It's all about collective happiness. And this is the way it would have been um, for most of humanity's lifetime. It would have been about the tribe, the family, the group. You know, we see it in the Scandi nations, more of a social welfare sort of system. Um, that's probably the modern equivalent of that. But I was speaking with Michael Ryan, who's President Michael D. Higgins' yoga and meditation teacher. And he told me that not only can meditation help each of us reduce worry and stress, the practice can also have an impact on our collective happiness as well. So it's a way of, of training the mind to come into this moment. So the tendency for our mind is to wander. And that's where a lot of our issues will arise from. The mind goes off into problems that might happen or things that did happen that didn't go so well. And that tendency for the mind creates a lot of dis-ease in our systems. So the practice of meditation is about what supports the mind in coming in. The family, the group, you know, we see it in the Scandi nations, more of a social welfare sort of system. Um, that's probably the modern equivalent of that. But I was speaking with Michael Ryan, who's President Michael D. Higgins's yoga and meditation teacher. And he told me that not only can meditation help each of us reduce worry and stress, the practice can also have an impact on our collective happiness as well. So it's a way of of training the mind to come into this moment. So the tendency for our mind is to wander. And that's where a lot of our issues will arise from. The mind goes off into problems that might happen or things that did happen that didn't go so well. And that tendency for the mind creates a lot of dis-ease in our systems. So the practice of meditation is about what supports the mind in coming into this very moment. The idea that if you're here in this moment, in one sense, there's no problem. There is just this moment, particularly since the 70s. They've been studying how it begins to affect the brain, how it affects the neurochemistry of the brain. And and there's dramatic evidence that if you're practicing, it does change the physiology of the brain. Like I remember one of the first studies they did on transcendental meditation in the uh, early 80s in New York and they got a a bunch, a group of meditators, a big group, it was people in the hundreds. Statistically the crime rate while people were meditating dropped. The power of a group of people meditating is exponentially bigger than someone meditating on their own. You know, they talk about kind of coherency and frequency and the idea that the heart has a rhythm. Like the Buddhists talk about the idea that peace is a thing. It exists in every moment and that we're an antenna. And that through meditation, we get to attune our antenna to peace. So we're aligning to something that's already there as opposed to something that we're creating in any given moment. It's always there. So the idea that the more people who are, who 